Welcome to Get Amplified from the Amplified Group, the podcast for tech industry leaders and aspiring leaders who want to help their companies execute faster. As always, we're virtual. I'm at home in Bucks with a puppy on my knee. Uh, Vicky's over in deepest, darkest Oxfordshire. And our guest is somewhere a little further afield. Vicky, who have we got on today? Hi, Sam. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for that. So really excited to have Jed Ayres with us from iGel. And Super exciting in that he's just told us that this is the second call that he's done from his new office in San Francisco. So I'm sure we're going to hear some more about that. But just before we get into it, iGel has been really on the periphery of my entire career and worked with iGel many years ago. And just over the last few years, so fascinating to see on LinkedIn just the transformation that iGel has gone through. So we've got some really interesting topics to cover with Jed. So normally we have like one topic that we're going to talk about, whereas actually we're going with three today. So we've got loads to cover from moving from a hardware to a software company, taking a European-founded organization into the US market, and actually starting out with Jed as CEO moving from a transition in marketing. So loads to cover. So I'm going to hand back to you, Sam. Brilliant. Sounds good. Sounds good. So Jed, maybe you could start by giving us something of a, a brief potted history of your career and how you got to where you are. Yeah, well, I first just want to say thank you for uh, for having me on your show. I've listened to a number of your podcasts and uh, th- thanks for uh, the gifts that, that you give everyone with doing these podcasts. I'm delighted to be here. So I uh, had been a Northern California kid. I grew up on a farm here in Northern California, and I've always aspired to stay in Northern California for whatever reason. I found myself uh, in San Francisco after I graduated from college and uh, was working on my MBA. And I um, I took a job as an intern in a reseller in a marketing function. It was actually in, right around 1995 when the internet was uh, first coming out. And it was like, hey, take this huge catalog of IT products and put it on the internet. And so that was my first job uh, was to figure out how to eliminate a catalog and um, and put it on the internet. So I did that and I went back to go back to school and they told me, you're not allowed to go back to school. You need to keep working for us because you're the only guy who knows how to do this uh, and maintain this uh, thing that you set up. So in 1995, I was uh, working remote. Uh, with a laptop and connecting in and maintaining this uh, electronic website so the state of California could buy uh, products from this reseller. So uh, that was the beginning of my journey in IT. I eventually uh, started actually my full-time career at the same company as an inside sales rep in San Francisco, which is where calling you from today, not far from here in South of Market District. Uh, And we opened an office here. um, And uh, I, I basically loved Loved selling. I love uh, IT. And uh, yeah, I, 20 years of my life was spent in the reseller world. In 2004, I got exposed to Citrix and end user compute. And I really uh, have had a, a very long sort of, you know, uh, probably 15, 16 years now, very focused on end user compute. I, I left the reseller world in 2016, went to work for a company called AppSense, actually, a company headquartered in the UK. Um, yeah, no absence. Well, yeah, it was a, a fun uh, sort of two-year stint there. Um, we ultimately sold the company to uh, to Landesk, which is now Avanti. And uh, and then it, it, actually, the day we signed the letter of intent for uh, selling the company, I was driving to 
the office in Sunnyvale at four in the morning and I got a call from uh, an unknown number in the UK. And it was, uh, it was the guy who was running iGel outside of Germany. And he, uh, he was saying, hey, you want to come work for iGel? And of course, at the time, I was not extraordinarily interested in uh, you know, a hardware company in Germany. And so he had to twist my arm. Um, and yeah, yeah, I ended up basically uh, at iGel over the last five years. Um, and it's been quite a journey. So yeah, tech, 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 mainly marketing. And yeah, this is my first CEO role. What, what a journey. What's the differences from being in that kind of marketing world to running, running the show? Yeah, well, I guess in the marketing world, you like to get messaging right. I like to get go to market right and you know help companies grow. And so that was sort of the where I spent most of my time, right? And the, it, to me, this was a beautiful thing because you're very focused on specific uh, exercise, right? Around how do you help a company grow? Obviously, moving into the CEO role, you end up you know in a much wider remit, right? So you're uh, you're looking at the full spectrum of the uh, of the organization. So you become a little bit more of a generalist. I still think that the yeah. CMO spark of having the vision and the message and you know being able to sort of articulate that to the entire world is an important function. And I think that's why a lot of CMOs become CEOs is um, you know their capacity to sort of have that vision. Yeah, it's been different. I have to say, right on February sixth, we actually had a lit torch. We were in Munich. And, you know, uh, he passed me a lit torch in front of our 450 employees, put on the stage in front of them. And it was, of course, a, a huge honor to take on uh, the responsibility of leading the organization. And, of course, two thirds of our organization is in Europe. So, you know, my commitment to yes. them at the time was, hey, you have this wild American that's taking over the helm, but I'm going to be back. Right. I'm, I'll be back in six weeks. You can expect me to be in Europe quite a bit. I think it was March 12th. I was scheduled to fly. And so, yeah, I was, uh, I was essentially... Uh, Absolute baptism of fire. Yeah, it was a very uh, challenging year as the C- CEO of a global company. So I guess your company is well set up for home working and remote working, right? I think everybody had some semblance of a remote work, but I don't think anybody was really prepared for 100% you know, remote. Very few companies probably... Could have, could have said that prior to COVID, right? Um, in fact, at iGel, our development team in Germany had never worked from home. Uh, and there, you know, there's over 100 people in Augsburg, just outside of Munich, and very few people in our Bremen headquarters in northern Germany have worked from home. So it was actually kind of a, a fascinating you know, uh, deployment of our own technology, in, uh, especially with the developers and getting them all home. Um, and as you may know, in Germany, there's actually some specific, you know, labor laws and contracts that we had to work through to, to get all those people home. Um, yeah, so the, it, 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 it was a, uh, just like everybody else, we worked through it, right? Um, and yeah, there was a lot of uncertainty. And I think the key to that was just good communication, a lot of empathy for everybody. And of course, putting safety of the human beings uh, and their families in the front of all these decisions we were trying to make real time with various you know, you know, uh, data points that um, didn't always line up, I think was also the challenge as a leader, right? And different interpretations of what was going on around the world. So it was, I have to say, uh, an immersive and challenging situation for uh, from a leadership perspective. Yeah, no kidding. It's absolutely crazy baptism of fire 
So, you know, you have my total respect for taking that on. I'm, I'm, I'm astounded. Yeah. That's fantastic. Um, what would you tell yourself? I took over as the CEO yeah, a year, year and a half ago. I think the key for me would have been probably uh, more emphasis on the communication piece of it, right? Because suddenly I, I'm somebody who's wired to, you know, travel the world and go see people and have windshield time and QBRs and meet customers and partners, right? And when you're uh, challenged to do that through a Zoom screen, you know, and be able to sort of connect with people, get, deliver the right message at the right time with the right empathy. I mean, I think that's something that uh, I've learned through the last year and a half, right? Is that, uh, yeah, you gotta, you gotta have the right uh, approach for communication, especially if you're going through a transformation, which, uh, uh, you know, we've had to go through at Agile. We sold the company. Uh, the founders uh, became my, minor and the primary shareholder became minority shareholders. We did that all through the lens of a Zoom Zoom screen, right? Um, yeah. And so, yeah, I guess I would probably I would tell myself in, in a prior life, like you really have to like up your game around uh, how to do things virtually, right? Um, yeah, yeah. It's, but I guess none of us knew eighteen months ago that that was going to be the case, did we? Just on the comms side of things, though. So either whether you're remote or not. So Patrick Lencioni, whose methodology it is that we follow. He's got a book called The Advantage. And in The Advantage, the first thing he talks about is making sure that your team is working effectively. So the five behaviors of the team. But then, then he talks about getting the strategy and getting alignment of the leadership team. And then the rest of it, so three quarters of what he talks about is it's you communicate that plan, you over-communicate that plan, you re come back and communicate it again. Share it again. <laughs> Communicate it again. And it's you can't communicate enough. And although it's something that you're talking about in a leadership team meeting all the time, actually, when you're presenting it in an all hands, they're only hearing it a few times. Right. And so you think you've been talking about it and talking about it. And there's a there's a fantastic story about um, Alan Mullaly, who turned around Ford and he had the strategy for Ford and he he had it on. um, He had an interview with. I think it was with the New York Times and he went in and they said, what's the strategy? And he got this card out of his pocket and he showed it them and he talked it through. And then two years later, he went back to them again and they said, what's your strategy? And he got the same card out of his pocket and went, this is the strategy. It hasn't changed. When I looked at you know, the success we had early on with IGEL, uh, I, I, I thought about it in the sort of three P's. It was obviously people um, and hiring the right people it was having a great product that was very mature and, and timely in the market, but it was also a plan, right? And it was like, I walked into iGel, I studied it. After I got that famous phone call, I really started to study iGel. And I spent about six months, like really asking all the questions of all the right people. And I put together a plan, it was called Operation 150. And it was at the time, how to take iGel in the US from number seven to number three, right behind Dell and HP. And it was like, you know, plan, plan, plan. And even to this day, so I, I basically tell people it's people, product, plan. And obviously there's more to it than that, but I've put our plan on one page and every town hall that we have, I basically pull that up. And to your point, like, it's amazing. You can, you can, you can do that. And they're, when you have 450 people, it's like playing telephone, right? They don't all hear it the same way. Everyone learns and processes differently. So uh, you can't say it enough times, right? 
Yeah. And I guess if you know if you're, if you're presenting it in simplistic terms on a on a one pager, it gives you the opportunity to check off how you're doing against it every time you do one of those town halls. Are we hitting our goals? Is everything that we're doing pointing in that in that right direction? Right. What well, also empowers people to say no to certain things because I think one of the yeah, that's true. The organization have is a focus. Right. You're like, all right, this is the strategic imperatives. Uh, these are what we have to accomplish this year. Does X you know, uh, line up with 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 those things? Yeah. Right? And it's like, all right, no, it doesn't. So I'm not going to prioritize that. In yeah. fact, I'm not going to uh, even think about park it. it. It might come back round in two years' time, but for now, it doesn't make the boat go faster. Exactly. Yeah, no, it makes sense. So tell us about the transformation um, moving from from hardware to software. Maybe if you let me indulge you all in your audience, I can give them a little thumbnail of the. The love it. Yeah, that's what we're here for. Yeah, so iGel has actually been around for over 20 years. It started in the you know 90s. A few people uh, you know decided they wanted to build a thin client um, in Germany. It was actually part of a publicly traded company that that went under in the uh, 2001 timeframe with all the dot com uh, blowups. But there was a guy, uh, the founder of the company, in fact, Heiko Gloge, who was working at the time as an apprentice for a, a 215-year-old German uh, company called Melchers. It was a trading firm in, in Bremen, Germany, mainly tr- trading uh, items into mainland China. And so he, he, he convinced them to start a reseller uh, that became the master distributor of iGel, the original version of iGel. When they imploded... He convinced them to buy the name iGel for 100,000 marks, and um, he reformed the company in December of 2001. Uh, He convinced the three original uh, developers to uh, join him. They would not move to northern Germany. They actually wanted to stay in southern Germany. If you know much about Germany, there are little differences. It was a little bit, uh, I think, of a risk for him at that time to sort of have his developers in a plane ride away, but he, he did that. And that's how the company started. Those three developers are still with the company today, which is an astounding kind of thing. Right. And their principle wow, that's impressive. was let's build, you know, uh, the world's greatest thin quiet and let's build the world's greatest Linux operating system to sit on that thin quiet. And then obviously if you have a thin quiet that has a great operating system, you need to be able to manage it. So let's also build the tool that will allow you to manage these devices with you know precision across tens of thousands of devices. So I arrived in 2015. By 20, 2006, they were actually the number one player in Germany, and they've held that spot ever since, uh, which is kind of a big, big statement uh, against you know the likes of Dell and HP to have 40% market share in Germany is a, a, a great accomplishment. I arrived in 2015, and most of the business was in Germany. There was a smattering of a business in you know some of the outlying European theaters. Uh, yeah, we were doing stuff. We were doing quite a bit with Agile in 2015, 2016, sort of time frame. The, I remember hey, it yes. the guy who hired yes. me was sort of had built up uh, built up the business in the UK. There was some business in the Netherlands and in Switzerland and Austria, but you know mainly it was a European business. They had tried to come into the US a couple times. They'd sent a German in the early 2000s over to put an office next to Citrix. That didn't work. They sent a, you know, a, a guy from the UK over. None of the attempts really worked, right? And so uh, when they called me, they said, look, this is our third try at this. We got to get it right. 
And I said, okay, well, if we're going to do it right, we got to follow a plan. That goes back to my Operation 150 plan, right? And so we essentially put this plan in place. And what what I was assigned to do was to two things. One, bring iGel into the US. And then secondly, get the marketing message in English, into business terms, and also invert it to focus on the software piece of it. And that what I found with iGel was there was this amazing piece of technology the operating system and the management tool, which they'd actually figured out in 2011, how to pick that operating system up and put it on other devices, not not their own, right? And they'd never figured out how to message it correctly though, right? It was all very German feature function, this, that, the other thing, right? And so, uh, and it was also done in German and then translated to English. And if you've ever done any translation between German and English, that is a very challenging thing to do. So uh, I took a fresh piece of paper out and said, I gel the software company. Uh, you know, what, what is it? Yeah. I started out with three or four people here in the United States and a very small book of business. And we now have 150 people in the U S the company more than doubled in size. Uh, we'll, we'll do a uh, you know, hundred million in software revenue this year. It's been a, an, an amazing kind of growth story. Uh, and the, and the founder and the original shareholder uh, in March of this year sold their position. And now the company is a uh, uh, majority owned by TA, a Silicon Valley based private e- you know, growth oriented equity company. So it's a, it's been a, an amazing five years, right? To transition a company from a hardware focus to a software focus and also selling, uh, I think surprisingly to the Germans into the biggest banks, hospitals, government agencies in, in the United States and, and pure software sales versus hardware. What a journey. Fantastic. You talked about communication. That's obviously key, but how do you take the people with you? I'm thinking in particular of the, you know, the, the private equity chunk and the founder going, you know, just having been through, through some of that myself with Peter retiring from Softcat and then going into the IPO type thing, you know, how, how do you keep people on board through all of that? So, uh, you know, there's a, there's a moment right now with, uh, and I know you, you guys talk a lot on your podcast about cloud and services and subscription, but what we see is uh, COVID sort of really laid out there that, um, you know, people need to get their applications and desktops from the cloud, right? And the ones that actually had prepared to do that did better yet, uh, than the other companies that, you know, uh, are still struggling to figure out how to consume uh, you know, applications and desktops and data from the cloud, right? This agility is really the future. And I guess what, the, what, what I've done from a communication perspective is show the employees and our partners and our customers that there's an architectural shift that's underway, right? And it's a once in a generation shift in terms of people are going to consume Windows and Windows applications from the cloud. And, um, and if they're going to do that, there's an architecture that says you don't need a big giant operating system for, for that consumption model. You actually need a light, secure, easy to manage operating system, right? That's like highly tuned to consume those applications for the full Windows desktops. So that's where Linux comes in, right? Linux is secure. It's, uh, you know, that you see all these ransomware things. We're coming to the rescue of a lot of these companies right now. Um, it's much easier to manage. Uh, and, you know, it's portable um, in the iGel uh, uh, form factor to all x86 devices pretty much that are out there today. So, yeah, we believe that's that's the picture I'm painting, Sam, 
to the uh, to the employees is like, hey, you know, Bill Gates wanted to put a PC on every desk. That PC now lives in the cloud, and there's an opportunity yeah. to sort of uh, uh, have have sort of a Microsoft moment as the world look looks at this architecture and says, I mean, look at what Red Hat did right on the server to Microsoft. IGEL uh, can do that same thing on the workspace of the future. So it's a lofty goal. It is, uh, and it's a, there's a lot of work to be done to do that. But you know, to have a, a premier, you know, uh, Silicon Valley minded investor that's behind us, uh, you know, that that's yeah, you know, this is a, 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 an amazing company that has uh, already added so much value. We have a new executive chairman named Bill Vecti. He's one of the godfathers of Windows Seven, which uh, you know, he spent twenty so years at Microsoft from somewhere. He was the COO at HP, but his primary has been was at Microsoft. He did the deal with Citrix at Microsoft, and so he's kind of become you know my partner in helping us uh, build what we believe is going to be one of the greatest operating systems in a generation. I love the fact that you've just said believe because you use that a lot, don't you? I do. I uh, I love this word. I like to believe it's one of these things where you have to dream big. You got to work hard to deliver on that dream, but if you can't if you can't dream something, you can't even. That's the first step, right? And so, absolutely. Yeah, I have a yeah. fun story behind believe. I, I could, if you give me a minute, I could tell you. But I please uh, do. I, I this word means a lot to me inside of IGEL, and it, it was actually born out of uh, an idea I had early on that IGEL needed to have a user conference. And as a marketing guy, right, it was like, hey, this will be our opportunity to to tell the story, uh, our version of the story I just told you to our own employees, customers, and partners. And I, I came uh, early on to Germany and I had this great idea that we could do this. And I w- had all the right people in a boardroom. Uh, I think there was like 15 people in the boardroom and they all basically t- told me that it was a terrible idea, not possible. And I, I turned to the guy who was running sales in Europe who I had hired from AppSense. And I think he told me he could get three to five customers to attend. Uh, and I was you know, so dejected. I walked out of this meeting and even the founder told me, I think you're barking the wrong tree here. You should think think about, about doing something else with your time than this user conference. And I, I got a call from this guy, Timo Ziedenberg, who was a, a actually young, young guy who started out as an intern inside sales and he was a sales guy. And he says, I'm going to help you do this. He goes, I, I believe in it. And, and so together, the two of us basically worked you know, from October to January on putting this user conference together. And we, we called it Disrupt because we were disrupting the landscape of end user compute. I'm happy to tell you that I got to stand up in front of 500 people. We sold out five hotels in Bremen. And I think we surprised ourselves that uh, the success we had. And so this is where it was sort of like my tag became believe, right? It's like the Henry Ford quote, either you believe you can, or you believe you can't either way you're right. Um, yeah. I, I found what, it really inspiring and just see, cause it's something that's really stood out for me on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. Um, and you've just got such a bold vision. You have to believe. Yeah. Well, it, so it was the crazy part of this was, is that, and this is where I probably get a little emotional. Is we, we, I was standing on that stage with a torch. And when everyone left, I basically said, hey, you're going to get a T-shirt when you leave the room. 
And uh, the T-shirt had emblazoned on the front of it. It was a black T-shirt that said "Believe" in white letters. And on the back, it said, you know, number one edge OS for cloud workspaces, right? And it was this sort of idea that you'll, um, you, you know, you're going to live this vision on your on this T-shirt. And so, you know, whatever it was, eight, eight weeks, nine weeks later, when people started, like, seeing the devastation of COVID, I got a text from a lady who had been on the, uh, in the audience uh, of the user conference that happened right after that, who had gotten one of these shirts. She was a nurse in Seattle. She was actually the wife of one of the Microsoft executives that had come to Munich. And she sent me just a text with this shirt that said, believe on it, right? Mm -hmm. And she was like, all of a sudden it became this movement of around the world. We basically said, oh, everybody has a belief shirt and we need hope and optimism right now. And so everyone started taking pictures of belief shirts and we started giving them out. We gave out 10, I don't know, tens of thousands of belief shirts. And so it actually became a rallying cry for the company through COVID uh, that, hey, you have to believe you know, that there's a brighter future around the corner. And it really became a cornerstone of like hope for our, our company and the people inside of our company as well. So it was, it was a neat moment for sure. That's awesome. I love it. It reminds me of, um, it, it, it's not, not quite the same sort of level, but every year at, at SoftCat, we do a kickoff and there would be a word of the year. Um, and that, you know, it would be something, probably the most popular one over the years was an early one, which was alacrity. And it's interesting with a global co company, sometimes a word like alacrity may not be really understood in Germany, right? Uh, or tenacity or what, it doesn't translate perfectly. So this is one of the things I've probably learned back to your question about what would you tell yourself differently? <laughs> you know, uh, there's an awareness factor that you have to have, right? I know we all know the famous faux pas that companies have made with trying to do marketing, you know, or use words that don't translate. Uh, this is an awareness you have to have, right? That words that we're highly, uh, uh, and, you know, emotionally connected to may not actually translate the same I way. Think, I think what you just said there about emotionally connecting, though, because a lot of, you know, we've talked in, um, in the past about the speed check that we have. Uh, the Amplified Group, which is looking at how organizations are effectively growing. And if you look at the four things that we look at, it's purpose, trust, clarity, and simplicity. And the purpose one, it has to be an emotive purpose. There has to be some sense of emotional connection to it. And yet, so many organizations talk about what they're doing and it's so boring and there's no emotional connection to it at all. I, I think really that's what that. it really differentiates you. I agree. I think especially the next generation that's coming to the workforce and they're now yes. further uh, this direction because of COVID, right? Everyone kind of reflecting on how do I want to spend my life? Do I want to be doing a three hour commute into an office and you know, I suspect that you're going to see a, an ordinate amount of turnover in the uh, in organizations in the coming uh, months. People are predicting as high as 40% turnover, right, uh, in certain industries. And so, yeah, that purpose becomes more important than it ever has been, right, in terms of what are you, how, how are you spending your life energy to make the world a better place and, you know, your own, uh, yeah, I mean, this just, this becomes fundamental, right? It becomes less about chasing money uh, and more about, you know, how, how am I helping the world and am I happy? 
And if you get that stuff right, the rest kind of follows. I agree. I agree. And I, I guess this is another thing I try to do as a leader is, uh, you know, at every single town hall we have, I, I try to impress upon people like what is IGEL's, uh, you know, vision and mission. And, um, you know, I say it again, like it's the first time I'm telling the organization, right? Yeah, we came up with this vision of iGel before COVID, and it was this idea that, hey, iGel is going to help people transform and drive better better outcomes for people, organizations, and the planet. And, of course, those three things resonate for people, right? They're like, hey, what iGel is doing is, you know, helping reduce the amount of waste that goes into the landfills, right? We, we regularly resurface, you know, tens of thousands of devices that were headed to the landfill and, and extract more life out of them. Right. And it's like, okay, that's, you know, it's our, our little contribution to decreasing impact on the planet. Right. And so, yeah, these are yeah, just the, mo- the mountains of e-waste, but also the production of new devices. Exactly. And of course the back going yeah. back to the conversation about architectural change, right. I came from a world where in the nineties, it was like I was my first job, uh, job, job like in Silicon Valley. I sat on site at Cisco. Uh, I was in Building E. They had six buildings, and uh, Cisco would buy three to five million dollars worth of PCs a month from uh, from my reseller, and they were on literally an eighteen month reset. Yeah, you know, we would send them these Toshiba laptops that were this thick. They would, they would basically, the engineers would get a new device every 18 months, right? And so most companies are on a three to five year, you know, hamster wheel refresh. One of the things I think happens with this architectural shift of a lighter operating system is that you actually end up with a device that can, that, that doesn't need to have as big of a processor, uses less power, and doesn't need to be replaced as often. But this sort of like chasing the shiny object of a new device every three years we can we, we can put an end to that we had a sales manager who would accidentally run over his laptop about every 18 months to speed up his replacement i put yeah. it on the roof while i was filling it up with petrol and it fe- and it fell off or something like that it was always the excuse and the one thing that's crazy about the uh the thin os technology is that especially if you put it on a device that doesn't have a fan a pretty simple r- rigid device built at iGel these devices can last eight to 10 years. I remember my first month at iGel, this guy called me up and he was very angry on the other end of the phone and said, hey, I've had this device uh, and it doesn't take the newest operating system. And I asked him what the device was and I come to find out the device was 10 years old. <laughs> and yeah, it wouldn't consume our latest operating system, right? But you're like, all right, okay, if you got 10 yeah. years out of the device, that's pretty astounding. <laughs> yeah, if that's the world record, maybe you should have had a free upgrade. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess that vision. Back to your point, Vicky, about being able to like kind of give people a bigger, bigger vision of what they're uh, going to work and being part of. I think it's a very important thing for a leader to be able to deliver that. Absolutely. Yeah. We always found the most important thing was getting the right people on the bus, hiring talent. I suppose you know there's a fierce market out there. You talked earlier about the potential of organizations seeing 40% churn or whatever, how do you make sure you get the right people? How do you make sure you get the best people? Yeah, well, I think like we talked about earlier, uh, highlighting uh, COVID highlighted, uh, you know, the importance of bringing people into the tent, communicating, you know, uh, the sort of empathy and flexibility 
that you need to have. And the challenge uh, recently, I'm actually hiring a chief people officer. And uh, so I've at one, I've seen these people are in very high demand right now because everybody's looking about how they handle their human resources, both on the retention and recruiting side, right? And so, yeah, I guess I just look at that as a fundamental thing. And it's been interesting for me uh, taking on to a German company. When I got here, it was all MDs, right? Which is sort of this nebulous title that says I do everything. There was there was four of them, I think. But it was to to me as an American, I, I was like, well, what 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 is their actual responsibility? And then I found out, you know, that also HR uh, in a German company is not typically have a seat at the table, which was also interesting to me. Right? They see it much more as an operational get get people paid and benefits and the legal pieces of it versus like strategy, right? And so for Unfortunately, probably a, a couple of years, I just had to raise my hand at every board meeting and say, we need a chief people officer. And so, uh, you know, we got one and I'm, I'm actually made an offer yesterday to a, a chief people officer uh, that's here in the U.S. as we continue this journey. So I, I just I guess it's all about the team, right? Putting the right people in the right places. And I love hiring people that just move the needle, right? And then having somebody that that's their full-time job, right? Is thinking about just like I was responsible for marketing, they wake up every day and they think about how do I create the greatest journey for an employee that comes to iGel from the day they start, you know, uh, to the day they retire. And so, you know, that having somebody that it has domain expertise and that's all they do all day. In addition to all the nuts and bolts of, you know, not to discount the operational pieces of HR, uh, which if they, they get wrong, you know, it can be very bad. But yeah, so that's exciting for me. And I just, I would say COVID has put a, a big exclamation point on the importance of having great leadership uh, and great strategy uh, around, you know, human resources. Yeah, the way I've seen it described is, good companies built up a certain amount of maybe emotional capital in their employees prior to COVID and bad companies didn't build up quite so much. And every day that COVID goes by, you erode that emotional capital. Right. Some of emotional capital is actually gained by being in a room with people. It's really exactly to build up uh, emotional capital without being able to shake someone's hand break bread with them, give them a hug. Yeah, exactly. Uh, go, go out for dinner, you know, have lunch together, whatever. No, you you know, you're, you're, you're absolutely right. And I think those, those companies that see the 40% churn are probably those that haven't managed to build up sufficient emotional capital, if that's the right description for it. Right. Before the world all went crazy. Yeah. Well, it's, it's a job that's never done, right? Uh, humans are fickle. And they're, uh, you know, they're, they're, they, they, they're a complicated creature, right? And so, yeah, you just, you're never done. You're really, it's a, it's a constant. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Align, you know, what you want to do as a company with what they're trying to accomplish. Either this is not, you know, this is why you guys exist, right, Vicky? This is the it's exactly, riddle exactly. to solve. Uh, yeah. But if you're not conscious of it and you're not really bringing it into the, you know, decisions you're making and the strategy you're trying to accomplish. I mean, you're just missing the boat, right? I, my favorite graph is the one that basically says, Hey, you have this plan on a page, you have this strategy, but you have this other population, which is most of the company that are, you know, that's down here in the bo bottom of the, uh, the page, right? How do you bring these two things together? 
consistently, right? And bring them a little closer together because people say, hey, a lot of uh, organizations, the, the majority of the employee population is a year behind where the C-level C wants to take the company, right? And so how do you shrink those two so that there's a shorter distance between the two? And that, that's, I think, how you, how you change the world and transform, transform a, a category or an industry is you, you got to figure out how to shrink those, the, the distance so that you get hundreds, if not thousands of people rowing in the same direction and believing in something. I love what you said about the fact that you have to keep working at it because that that's absolutely so important to us because I've been on on courses before where you go and you go and have a you have a great you know workshop where you go and learn some stuff and then you go back to your day job and you forget about it all what we work on at the Amplified Group when we work with the team it's about making what we do muscle memory so that it's used every day and and expanded throughout the organization and what you also said so eloquently is consciously so you're consciously thinking about it because you can't take it for granted and I think so many organizations and Mark Templeton has said this you know when he was at Citrix he took for granted how great the culture was and and if you're not careful you can lose it it's very fragile yeah I agree it's like it's sort of like your your integrity right you 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 work a career to sort of build a brand uh, for yourself and you can lose that in a matter of minutes. Right. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it becomes about, you know, every decision you make, does it correlate with your values? Right. And it's like, is this going to reinforce your, your, your values and your, where you want to, what you want to be known for. Right. And it's easy to get crossed up there. I have to say, right. And you have to have good people around you also that check you. Right. I mean, I think that's part of it also, right. You look at the greatest companies in the world. It's yeah. There's usually a great leader at the top, but there's a lot of great people around them, not only in their, in their immediate proximity, but also in the middle management as well. Right. And I think that's one area I would say to any leader out there that's probably underinvested in is sort of that extended leadership team. Right. Yes. How do you put the hug on them? How do you help them really help you carry the water, some of the water uh, up the hill, right? Um, yeah. And empower them. Yeah. No, I think that's absolutely bang on. So, Jen, as, as an American guy running a German company that is trying to get massive in the US, how do you deal with the cultural differences going in, in two, di- two uh, different directions uh, and back again? As, as you know, right, like diversity actually usually means uh, strength, right? Like, it, it, I think there's enough studies in the world to, to show that, you know, um, diversity can actually be your greatest strength. And so you got to lean into it. You got to understand it. And of course, when I first started, I would get so angry and emotional about data protection and GDPR and workers councils and all these things that were like, sort of almost looked like for me as an American who was trying to like, you know, uh, uh, build something, I, I would get so frustrated with, uh, with those, those two things very specifically that are rooted in the German way of doing business. And so uh, I guess fast forward to the five, you know, five, five years in, I actually really appreciate uh, this sort of thoughtfulness uh, of, of, of those concepts actually today, right? It's, I still get a little frustrated, but what I would say is, uh, and you know, they get frustrated that we're sort of brash over here in America and we're We'll, we'll run with something at 80%, right? Whereas they're like engineering it to like perfection. And so 
what I what I've seen very specifically with the German and uh, American culture is if you can get the respect right, you actually and you get the agreement on the plan, you can actually get the best of both worlds, right? You sort of you have this energy that can come together where you actually have a, a sort of cultural personality that actually it, it's can do great things. Uh, a lot of people told me not to take the job at iGel, and they told me to take not to take the job for three reasons. They said VDI in 2016 was not a great place to be. Right, Elliot was inside of both VMware and Citrix, uh, you know, trying to untangle, uh, you know, as a as sort of a, a antagonistic, you know, uh, activist investor. It was a hardware company. And the third thing was Germans, you know, and, and as an American, they say, oh, Germans are really hard to work with. Actually, this is not true, right? They're actually not hard to work with. Uh, you just have to learn how to work with them, right? Um, and, and they're actually fabulous to work with. Um, and they're very process oriented. And they actually see things that Americans sometimes overlook that can be quite detrimental, right? And so that's what I, I would say is just sort of like the cultural thing you have to embrace it, right? And if you embrace it and you come to work with this idea that everybody wakes up every day and is trying to do something great, uh, you see it glass half full, uh, you can do some great things. One thing about our code is that it just, they produce this code and the QA work they do and the rigor of producing the code. It's like, I never get people telling me our software has bugs, right? Like it's, it's like when they put it out, it's sturdy. Yeah. Yeah, um, we could have the same conversation about cars, couldn't we? But let's let's not exactly. let's not go there now. Oh yeah. So Jed, um, as we've talked previously at the Amplified Group, we believe that great team experience is really what differentiates great companies from good companies. What does great team experience mean to you? Well, I mean, I, I hate to tell you another story, but I grew up and my most influential mentor in my life was my grandfather. And like every meal that we would have was always about the team and not the, you know, him patting himself on the back for whatever it was that we accomplished that day. And so that, at a very early age, like I realized great leadership is not one person, right? And great outcomes are not one person. It's always a team, right? And so this is uh, something instilled at me at a very young age, right? Is getting the right team, but then also, uh, you know, incenting them the right way and, re uh, and recognizing them the right way. So, yeah, I, I like to celebrate, you know, uh, success, but it's never a, a single individual typically, right? It's, 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 it's the team that made that happen. And so that, that's just part of, uh, I think, the right hygiene for success, right, um, it, it is pointing this out. And uh, as a leader, you know, as we we do, uh, you know, QBRs and we do obviously all the th things that uh, you do to recognize people, presidents, clubs, and uh, at every, at almost every uh, time we get together, we talk about a team win or a team success to reinforce sort of the magic of what that looks like um, when when people people collaborate co correctly. Because I think that's one thing I would just say to any leader out there, you know, make sure you're celebrating the success, right? Because there's so many challenges and uh, things that you could get frustrated about. But I, I guarantee you that you have something in your organization you could celebrate that's a positive, right? And that's this sort of, and maybe it's too American, right? It's this sort of- no, I don't like, think it is at all. The glass is so full. Uh, for me, it's like, I, I just love, we, we have champagne toasts at the end of quarters that we succeed, right? And we, 
we have all these traditions. That's the other thing I would say about humans is they're wired for traditions, right? And so they'll work extra hard. Love, love a tradition. Get to the tradition, right? And it's like, yeah. uh, it's been a fun thing at IGEL in, in the US as we you know have beat these quarters. We go out and we buy, you know, expensive champagne and we we take a, an hour to talk in a stand-up and we drink really good champagne and we play music too loud and we <laughs> hug each other. So hopefully uh, come uh, September 30th or October 1st, we will be having such a uh, celebration. Yeah. I really hope so. I really hope so. Did you say that you grew up on a farm? I did. I grew up on a small apple farm. Both my parents were school teachers. And uh, yeah, uh, my, and my, my grandfather actually was a, a very large a farmer. farmer in uh, Sonoma County, which is the county just south of Mendocino County. Um, and so, yeah, I spent a lot of time picking apples and working out in the, in the, in the hands in the dirt um, as, a, as a child. And I guess that sort of instilled my work ethic. I, I definitely know I'm not the smartest guy in the room, but I usually am the first guy into the office. And, uh, you know, uh, maybe to my detriment, um, you know, the work ethic. Yeah, be careful with that one. An important one for me, right? Um, no, I, I get it completely because I also grew up on a farm and I say my work ethic comes from, so, but we we weren't as uh, as posh as apples, we were potatoes. And so okay. that really was hands in the soil. So yeah. that, that feels like another conversation at another time. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm sitting here, look, I'm sitting here now looking out. My looking at your apples. I know you were talking about my, them and my, and my potato plants. <laughs> yeah, you both covered. yeah well everybody has an origin story right and usually yeah. that's a pretty big part of um who they become yeah. in in their yeah. life uh in the shaping they have early on thank you Brilliant. well that was that was fascinating we've gone from technology through to growing spuds <laughs> <laughs> What, what a wild ride in an hour. Well, th thank you very much for uh, having me on your show. I can tell you two are uh, amazingly interesting people and inquisitive and curiosity. That's what keeps us all uh, going, I yeah, guess. Absolutely. Uh, get to ask the, ask the, uh, ask listen, right? And ask the questions because that's probably. Well, exactly. We, we have a lot of fun doing this. It's, it's good. And I don't we take Mickey out of Vicky too much. <laughs> <laughs> that's part of the course. <laughs> But thanks part so of much for the game. Oh, you're welcome. Yeah, and thank, uh, you, uh, you all come out of the haze of, uh, of COVID and have a, a wonderful uh, summer. And same to all your listeners. Yeah, fantastic. Good luck, good luck with the new office. And I hope you're uh, drinking champagne and playing music too loudly very, very soon. Yeah. Amen to that. <laughs> Absolutely. So it just remains for me to say thanks for listening to Get Amplified from the Amplified Group. Your comments and your subscriptions, as always, are most gratefully received.